theological term, but we're going to we're going to talk about it. Uh, types of Christ, and I'll, what I want to do as I began last week, if I was writing a book or we were writing a book on this subject, say we would we would we're beginning with <clears throat> impressing ourselves with the value of Christ in the Word of God. You know, before we actually get to types just to see Christ himself in the word of God and, and what it's all about. And that he is, I would say, this is separate, but I would put, put it this way. And it's, I'm not the first person to coin this, but uh, I would call him the sum and the substance of the word of, the word of God. What y'all can I read that? <laughs> I'm terrible at writing. Yeah, I ran out of But he's the sum and the substance. If you add it all up, you find that the Lord of God's about Christ. If you want to know what the content of Scripture is, it's about the Lord Jesus Christ. And and so that's the impression I want I want us to really get before we you know, let's be chapter one. <laughs> before we start really looking at all the types. And last week we talked about the prophets that wrote of Christ. How many of the prophets wrote about Christ? Every single one of them. We saw all the scriptures that said that. We, we looked at that last week. Jesus himself told the Pharisees in John five thirty nine, You search the scriptures, for in them you think you have eternal life. And so many people look at scripture that way. Here's the, here's the word of God that's going to tell me what I need to do to have eternal life. And I'm not saying it doesn't say that. <laughs> but if that's all you see, you don't understand that what Jesus said was, they are they which testify of me. And he's standing right in front of these people that looked perfect. If you looked at them, you say, that's the best group of Christians I've ever seen. And they love the word of God, and they try to find everything in it and do it. But still yet, he said, you think that in them you have eternal life, but they are they which testify of me, and you will not come to me that you might have life. So they understood the scriptures. They were following what the, the do's and the don'ts, but they refused to come to him. And he, was, he was standing right in front of them. So the value, that's what we're talking about, the value of understanding that Christ is the sum and the substance of Scripture. And nobody in this, cl- this class here should ever, again, the rest of your life, look at the Word of God and not know that. And don't look at it in any other way. <laughs> Seek for Christ. If you continue in my Word, then you're my disciples indeed. You're truly, truly following me if you continue in the Word. And if you do, then the truth will make you free or set you free. And continuing in the Word of God is continuing to learn, not just, you know, like I've been guilty of, going over a lot of the same ground, making sure that I keep hearing it, keep hearing it, and hearing it the way that I thought it said it. And No, you continue to be open to the Word of God. Let the Word of God speak to you. Look for Christ in the Scriptures. Never get to a place where you think you know it all. Always looking for a fresh word from the Lord, but it's always going to be pointing you to Christ. And you continue that way, and it's going to set you free. If you're ever in the Word of God or being taught somehow and it's bringing bondage to you, I'm not talking about conviction. Conviction's great. Revealing your sin and go, ooh, that's uncomfortable, that's good. 
But if it's bondage and you feel like you're just trapped by everything you read, nothing but condemnation, well, then you're not, you're not heading in the right direction. And how do you get out of that? How do you not do that? Because how many people I've talked to over the years that say, whenever I read the Word of God, all I get is just condemnation. I'm, I can't be blessed by the Word of God. Something's wrong. How do you get out of that? You understand that it's all about Christ. You keep your eyes on him. You keep focused on him. Because the weapons of our warfare are mighty through God. They're not carnal, but they're mighty through God. Pulling down strongholds, casting down every imagination. Your mind wants to run, right? And, and that Everything that exalts itself against what? Christ or the Lord. And then you bring every thought captive unto the obedience of Christ. All your thoughts need to be brought captive unto looking to Christ. That will keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed upon thee. So if you're looking at the scriptures and it's about you, and it keeps being about you, and it keeps being about you, then you're not, you're on, you're not on the right track. And there's nothing wrong with looking at you, but just don't look there too long. You know, examine yourself. Get back to looking at Christ. <laughs> Focused on him. That's the way we make it. It's the only way we're going to make it day to day. It's looking to the Lord, looking to Christ, understanding it's about him. So how much of God's word then is about Christ? All of <laughs> Every jot in it, by the way, he was talking, he said that about himself. Uh, the Holy Spirit, last week we talked about the Holy Spirit. We're not going to go back and look at all those scriptures, but the Holy Spirit testifies of who? Christ. He, he's the comforter. When he comforts us, what does he do? Points us to Christ. The Holy Spirit will come and say, hey, wake up. Get your eyes where they're supposed to be. And you look through the scriptures, the Holy Spirit will point you to the Lord Jesus Christ and, and keep you focused on him. So it's all about him. And um, he's the sum and the substance of the Bible. When you add it all up, everything is pointing to him, picturing him, foreshadowing him, prophesying of him, some event that's teaching you a lesson about him. And, and that's what's meant by the term type. We're going to look at things that are just obviously, obviously Jesus. You go through the Old Testament, you don't know that until you get to the New Testament, but you look back and go, oh, that was him there, that was him there, that was him there. But then, not just is he all over the place, <laughs> talking to people, you know, uh, um, working with his people, dealing with his people, but also, all those people <laughs> are doing something that's picturing him. And it just folds in on itself. Then the, all the things that they're doing, the things they're doing it with, are some type of picture that's pointing <laughs> to the Lord Jesus Christ. That's how much the Bible is about Christ. And so that's what we mean when we talk about the word, word type. That is, whatever it is, it's pointing to Christ it's a picture of him. It's an event that teaches you a lesson about him. It's a person that's somewhat like him. You know, we're going to look at Adam first. But you think of Noah. He saved his people, did he not? Then you think of Abraham. He's the father of the faithful. He's like the most faithful guy. He's the guy that we talk about faithful. Who's the more faithful than that? Christ. He's picturing that, right? And you go through the whole Bible and you see maybe the best example is Joseph. What he went through in his life is a picture of Christ, how he was betrayed, but then he was exalted, you know. And you go on and you see David, he's the king, and, and he's picturing the great David, which is the Lord Jesus Christ. And on and on and on through the scriptures, we see those type of people pop up, and uh, it teaches us something about Christ. And so he's so wonderful, he's so beyond anything that 
the people of this world could even imagine beyond anyone else or, or anything that we can grasp that it actually takes all 66 books of the Bible written by, depending on what your opinion is, about some 44 different authors over 1,500 years. Every bit of it is necessary to picture Christ. If I was going to write something about myself, it'd take me probably one chapter. <laughs> you, know, you know this guy, it's pretty simple. And, but if you're going to talk about this person, it takes everything you can find in the Bible and all these different events, all these pictures, all these characters in order to teach us about the Lord Jesus Christ, all the ceremonies, everything, uh, the temple, the tabernacle. You can just go on and on, and you realize that it's, it's vast. And uh, we get a little bit here, a little bit there, <laughs> line upon line, precept upon precept. And every t- when you're doing that, you're not just building your theological grid as you go through the Bible. You know, I'm getting my theology right, and I, I'll know everything exactly like I need to. No, you're seeing Christ more and more. And more, you know, we see through a glass darkly, but one day we're going to see him crystal clear, but it gets a little bit brighter. And at least it helps you get through the day, (laughs) one day after another after another. I I promise you, I'm not not devaluing doctrine, you know me better than that, but doctrine's not going to get you through everything. The the Pharisees had sound doctrine. They were sovereign grace. (laughs) They weren't sound on the law, obviously. They misunderstood that. But what's going to get you through? A relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. That's the way you're going to make it through life. And so that's what it's all all about. So we piece it together. You know, Paul told Timothy to rightly divide the word of truth. Not get it all perfect in a theological grid where you can say, oh, I got everything in this little spot. We love to do that. I love to do that. But you'll find out that you can't fit everything in this spot. I was taught in seminary classes that you take what you do know to learn what you don't know. And that's always the rule. And you build a little bit here like that. Well, you'll find out if you study the Bible enough that there's going to be plenty of things you find that don't fit with what you already know. And your biggest impediment to learning is what you already know. So we have to allow the scriptures to say whatever it says. And it's always about Christ. And we're not building a theological grid. Where everything's lined out. Though we have that, and I think as Baptists, we down the line, you know, we pretty much have it. I'm, that's the reason I am a Baptist. But it's about a relationship with Christ. That's what it's about. It's about knowing him and him knowing you and, and actively involved in that. So we piece together his nature, his person, who he is. One example right away is that he's fully God, fully man. How'd that come about? How, how does that relate to us? Um, his person, his work, his character, all of his attributes. How many of his attributes did he have in his earthly ministry? <laughs> Thank you, Kay. That's such a good answer. You know how many people say the Lord left heaven and left all his attributes behind? Well, how's he raising people from the dead and, and healing them and making, <laughs> making food, uh, you know, and... and all the th- wonderful things he did if he left his attributes behind. How's he see, how does he see demons in the spirit world if he left his attributes behind? He didn't lay his attributes aside. That's the amazing thing. He was still fully God, 100% God. He never stopped. He's same yesterday, today, and forever. All he did was he set his glory aside, and he humbled himself. But he was still the same person, 
everything about him. So we learn about all those attributes. You learn everything about him. It's amazing. And then you see the, all the, the contrasts within that, how complex it is, because we hear him saying, come unto me, all you that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. And you see how sweet and tender he is. But then you see him in some places. You know, Isaiah, Isaiah saw him high and lifted up in his temple, and it shook. And he says, whoa, and man, I'm, I'm undone. I'm a man of unclean lips. Then you switch back over to the New Testament, and you see him being kind and healing people, having a conversation with the woman at the well. That's the, that's the person. You can't just write one, one little thing and say, here's everything about him. It takes all of these types, all these pictures, uh, in order to get to know him. How vast then, how vast is his nature? You look at me and you say, well, his nature is, well, he's sinful. <laughs> he loves the Lord. <laughs> he's confused. <laughs> Whatever you say, that, I got that pretty quick. I got him wrapped up. <laughs> but you look at Christ and you say, I can't get to the bottom of it. I can't reach it. His nature is just one thing after another, after another, after another. It's, it's vast. Uh, just think about where does he stand in relation to time? I know where I stand. It just keeps on marching, right? just keeps on marching. It's like a passing. There it goes. It never stops. I can't keep up with it. Before I know it, it's the next thing you know. It's 10 years later, right? Where does he stand in, the, in relation to time? I heard, you remember Garland Johnson, Sister Kay? Garland Johnson, how could you forget Garland Johnson if you ever met him, right? If there, he, he did like this. If like, say, this whole wall back here is, uh, is him. To him, that's time. Now, that was just the illustration that he made. He's outside of it. He's so much bigger than it. He's eternal. He, he is omnipresent physically, but also in time. Not just space, but in time. So that means he's in the eternal present all the time. There's nothing that he doesn't know. There's nothing he hasn't already seen. That's amazing. It's his eternality. He's eternal in every way. And uh, that's, that's incredible. His power. Last week we mentioned his power. He has, he has this one that came and died for us. The one that was buried, dead, rose again that lives to ever intercede for us is the one that created everything. He made it all. That's his power. That's how much power he has. He has creative power. He has sovereign power. That means he does as he pleases. Always. There's nothing that he wants that he doesn't get. The authority he possesses. How much authority does he have? Right. When he says all power is given to me, that word means authority. All authority over what? Everything. Some people don't, they don't really grasp that language. Everything. <laughs> Every single thing. He has authority over it. You know, you think, well, he has authority over kings and nations. And Yes, that's true. He also has authority over a little ant that's going across the ground or a bird that's flying across the sky. He's in charge of that. There's not one thing he's not. Go to Isaiah 45 with me, if you would. Forty-six, please. I'm in forty-six. 
verse, verse 9. Isaiah 40, 46, verse 9. Remember the former things of old. For I am... What's, does that ever stand out to you? Every time I see that, I, I stop. Because how many times did Jesus in his earthly ministry say, I am. I am the door. I am the shepherd of the sheep. I'm the good shepherd. I am he. Before Abraham was, I am. What kind of language is that? <laughs> I exist in the eternal present. I am. And he says, I am God and there is none else. I am God and there's none like me. Declaring the end from the beginning. So he declares what's going to happen and then it starts happening. He doesn't say, hey, I got this plan. I'm going to try to make it work. He declares it. That's it. He determines it. Then he declares it. You realize predestination and prophecy are the same thing? People say, I don't believe in predestination, but they'll have a prophecy uh, seminar. <laughs> so what? Predestination, prophecy, providence, all the same thing. Predestination is God determining what's going to happen. Prophecy is him declaring what's going to happen. And then um, um, providence is it coming, coming to pass. It's all the exact same thing. So he declares the end from the beginning uh, and from ancient times the things that are not yet done saying, this is what he says when he declares it, my counsel shall stand, I will do all my pleasure. Notice here, remember this is I am, this is Christ. Calling a ravenous bird from the east, the man that executeth my counsel from a far country, yea, I have spoken it, I will also bring it to pass, I have purposed it, I will also do it. So you see a bird flying across the sky. <laughs> Where's he going? I don't know. The Lord does <laughs> because the Lord put him to move and he's going wherever the Lord wants him to go. You got a man in a far country on the other side of the world. I always, I, for some reason, I have this picture in my mind some village somewhere and a guy's going down to the river to get a bucket of water <laughs> or something. That, well, he's doing it exactly like the Lord has it right now. The way he purposed it. That's who we're talking about. That's who, when we're talking about Christ, that's, that's, that's part of his nature. It's part of his character. That, that's who he is. And so he's, he's over all those things. But then you imagine that, that, and those are big thoughts about him, but then just think simply of his goodness. How good is he to us? He's just good. Everything about him and us is good. He and us, him and us, we it's all good. Everything, all his thoughts towards us are good and not evil. Sometimes we get confused about that. <laughs> but he's working everything for good. He's not looking down going, oh, Peggy's got herself in a mess. I got to fix that. Which that, that, that would be great, but it's, it's more than that. It's like, look at this mess I, I, I predetermined for Peggy. It's going to be good for her. <laughs> and I'm going to watch over and make sure she's okay. All the way through, when she gets out, she's going to realize it was me all the time. And it's going to be great. And so he, he's very good to us. What about his wisdom? He's the person we go to, right? He's the person we have a relationship with that we look to for help. How, how wise is he? How great is it to have him as your counselor? And how easy is it for us to get our thought off of that and to think we've got to look for some other counselor? But Larry, you know why? I know you know. Because sometimes he doesn't move as fast as we want him to. <laughs> he doesn't just give us the answer too quick. That's what we're wanting. 
So we say, well, we'll look for somebody else. When we have the wisest person that you could ever know to look to, talk to, get help from. Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 1. Verse, verse 18, 1 Corinthians 1, 18 says, For the preaching of the cross is to them that perish foolishness. But unto us which are saved, it is the power of God. You ever look at somebody and think, man, you literally hate the teachings of Christ. You hate it. You don't like it. You don't want to hear it. But to us, it's the power of God. And then he says, For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise. Think of that when you hear people just reject the gospel. He's destroying. They're too smart, right? Too wise to, to, not, to look to the Lord, to trust him. And here he says, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise. I will bring to nothing the understanding of the prudent. So, and it's not only just a day coming in his wisdom that he's going to do that. When they see him, they're going to go, uh-oh, I was not wise. That's true. But it's also now. He's doing it now. He says in verse uh, 20, where is the wise? Where's the scribe? Where's the disputer of this world? Where's that person that's going to debate me and dispute with me and, and argue with me? Hath not God made foolish the wisdom of this world? God did it. And you know what? It, sometimes I really think of it, that it's just too simple. It's too simple. He's God over everything. Completely over everything. Salvation's too simple. You stop, you trust him. It's too simple. <laughs> I have trouble with it, and I'm born again, and he put it in my heart to do it. Can you imagine? You don't even know the Lord at all? And he says, this is it, and this is interesting, verse 21. For after that in the wisdom of God, the world by wisdom knew not God, it pleased God by the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. Notice what it's saying. It was the wisdom of God that the world by wisdom can't find God. It was his wisdom that designed it that they're not going to find him out by their own wisdom. He designed it that way. It's not, it's not going to happen. You're either going to submit to him, yield yourself, that this means exactly what it says, or you're not going to get to know him. That's it. You're not going to figure it out. Anything you know from the word of God, you were enlightened in order to know him. And it's his wisdom that established that. That's who we're talking We're talking about Christ. It's his wisdom that established it that way. And the thought of the cross and the thought of Christ dying at Calvary, nobody would come up with that. <laughs> nobody would ever think of that. The way it happened and how amazing it is that it was prophesied that he'd have nails in his hands and his feet in Psalm 22 and crucifixion wasn't even invented till a couple hundred years at least before Christ came. God had all that purposed out. It's just foolishness to the world. For the Greeks require a sign, or the Jews require a sign, and the Greeks wisdom. Greeks got their philosophers. They got to have some. They got something. It's got to be something big. That's too simple. And the Jews, well, I want to see some miracle before I'm going to believe this. I got to see something. Some show me something. And then that's just the way we are. I mean, in this world, we're just that way. But we preach Christ crucified. It's that simple. See, what's the message? Christ crucified. By the way, the gospel is not a proposition. It's a declaration. I can't give you salvation. 
If I can give you the message of salvation, <laughs> the Lord does a work then, right? And so here it even t- it tells us that we preach Christ crucified. And under the Jews, it's a stumbling block. Under the Greeks, it's foolishness. That's the wisdom of Christ. He's, 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 he's so wise that you're going to stumble over it. And his wisdom made it so simple <laughs> that the complex thoughts of men, the philosophies of men, uh, Paul says, beware of philosophy. Beware of it. Men's ideas. But unto them which are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ the power of God and the wisdom of God. If you move on down to um, verse 30, but of him are ye in Christ, Jesus, who of God is made unto us wisdom, righteousness, sanctification, redemption. He is our wisdom. That means, that tells me that although I, I think I grow wiser as time goes by, hopefully we do, but it's really not my wisdom. It's his. He is our wisdom. You can't be any wiser than totally yield yourself to Christ and trust him. Because there's, when you need, your, need wisdom the most, <laughs> that's what you actually need to do. <laughs> and that's it. Because he is our wisdom. He knows how to handle. He knows what to do. That according as it is written, he that glorieth, let him glory in the Lord. And so the Lord set all that up in his wisdom that he would be the only, you know, you would glory in him. You don't glory in anything else. It's all about him. And isn't that not foolishness to this world? It's all about him. It can't be about me. It can't be about me being really smart, figuring it out. If you ever come to the word of God and you think, I'm just going to figure this out, you need to stop. You need to stop. You need to stop and talk to the Lord. Best way you're going to learn the word of God is to talk to the Lord and say, show me. Show me. I'm, I'm yours. Open my heart to your word. Teach me as I read it. Teach me God's word. If you ever hear somebody stand in the pulpit or leading people in the word of God, and they say, let me give you, let me tell you, <laughs> let, let me show you. I'll lay it all out for you. I'll be your teacher. That's what you get. Red flag. <laughs> Big red flag. They need to be saying, the Holy Spirit's going to lead you. He's going to guide you. He's going to point you to Christ. Trust him. Trust him. Every child of God can study the word of God. You have no need that any man teach you. Because you have an unction from the Holy Spirit. The Lord's given you that. And you can trust the Lord. And that's the only way you're going to know it. So that's the wisdom of God. That's the wisdom of Christ. He made it that way. Um, What about his sacrifice? And what I'm doing, I'm just giving you the value of how he is the sum and the substance of everything in the word of God. What about his, what did he do? How incredible is what he did? And you look through the whole Bible, I think we're going to learn about Cain and Abel today. <laughs> right off the bat, what was required? Sacrifice. What happened with Adam and Eve when they sinned? God made a sacrifice to cover them, right? And then, then whenever Israel had sinned and God had, had to straighten them out and correct them and give them a law, what did he do? I've got to give you some ceremonies. <laughs> what are they? They're going to be sacrifices. So you can keep your mind on what's right. And it's all about Christ. All about Christ giving his self. And you think of the character, the nature, the sovereignty, uh, the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ. And then what did he do? He came down and took on flesh and blood where he could bleed and die and, and be hungry and suffer. By the way, his emotional pain and suffering, he didn't have to take on that body to do that. He already experiences that. You know, he, you know, he cares about us even now that much. He longs after us. 
He loves us. He desires you to love him back. And he has like emotions and feelings in his heart for you. He didn't have to be made like us that way in order to have that. But he did have to be made that way to be hungry, to identify with us in our sufferings, the way we live in this world. He had to have all that. And in order, and I don't think he could be sick. I don't think he was ever sick, like with some kind of disease. It would be impossible, I believe, for him because there's just no sin there. But he experienced all the things that we would when we're sick. You know, he went through every type of suffering, you know, more than we could imagine, particularly on the cross in the days leading up to the cross. All of our sin and all of our infirmities was laid upon him. You know, so he experienced that. And don't ever say, well, he can't really understand me because he's so far above me. He's God. He's sitting on the throne in heaven. I mean, I know that he came and he died and all, but no. He understands way more than you do because everything that you have a problem with is somehow related to sin. He took that on himself. He experienced it. He knows you. He loves you. He desires that. So his sacrifice is tremendous. That he'd leave all that, all those angels going holy, 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 holy. And I think it's like an antithetical thing, you know, over and over and over and over and over and over and over. And worshiping him. And he left that. And came down here. And he lived just like us. As a matter of fact, he was hated worse than we ever been, treated worse than we've ever been, and he gave himself over to that. So uh, he did that, that that we would know him and he would know us. Isn't it interesting that he came down here not only to give his life for us, but to identify with us. So when we meet him one day, he can say, I really, really know you. Even today he can do it. He does. I really, really know you because I went through everything you go through. And I did that so I could. And then when we suffer, what's happening? We're learning to identify with him. You realize that's the only way to know him? Do you, do you know that? It's the only way to really, really know him. You can read the word of God. You can be taught the word of God. And you can get everything, like I said, in order. And you go, hey, I got a good understanding of what's going on in the Bible. But you really don't know much. Do you go through some things? I can show you that. Look in Philippians chapter 3. <clears throat> How do we know? How do we learn about all this sum and substance of Christ? Philippians chapter 3, notice here. What happened to Paul is, he says in verse 8, that he counts all things lost for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus his Lord. He said, I count it all lost. That means I stamp loss on whatever it is. I stamp loss on it. If the Lord asks for that, he can have it. If he asks for that, he can have it. But then he said, after that, he didn't just say that. And he says, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things. <laughs> so he, we're talking about a guy that did suffer the loss of everything in his life in order to have Christ in his life. And he said he counted it but dung. That's not, that's not very a pleasant thought, is it? It's all dung to me compared to knowing Christ. And I want to be found in him not having mine own righteousness, which is of the law, but that which is through the faith of Christ, the righteousness of God, which is of God by faith. So I don't want to be found having my own righteousness. I don't even want to think about that. And for him to say that's a huge deal because that was his whole understanding of his relationship with God before was that it was all about, I need to be righteous as I can. He was working as hard as he possibly could, to be as perfect as he possibly could. Now he flipped that. He said, I, I, don't, I don't count that one thing. <laughs> I, it's not mine. It's his. I don't want to be found like that. 
I want to be found having his righteousness. And then he says that I might, I may know him. That I may know him. So how do you get to know, really know the Lord? And the power of his resurrection. And then this part. The fellowship of his sufferings. <laughs> now, this, he wanted this. I want a fellowship in the sufferings. I want to enter into that. I want to suffer like Christ did with him right by my side. I want to go through that. Now, either he's crazy, <laughs> he's a bubble off, <laughs> which I think maybe we are, or, <laughs> or he knows something that's so precious that he's, he wants that. And he says right here that the fellowship of his sufferings, and I, what's it do? Being made conformable unto his death. That I might be conformed unto him. And the only way to do that is what we know of him, what he did for us, was he suffered and he died. What do we picture when we're baptized? I die. I die with Christ. I go down and I come up new, like he went down and came back up. I have to die to me. And that's what it pictures. It doesn't do it. It pictures it. And Paul's saying, I want that. I count everything lost so I can just do this. I can suffer with Christ because when I suffer with him, I know him. You think, man, you've got to be nuts. But later on, he says, I glory in my infirmities. Actually glory in it. And that's not easy to do. And he says, if by any means I might attain unto the resurrection of the dead. Do you think he's saying that if I suffer enough, I'll go out and, by the way, he didn't have a martyr complex where he wanted to go out and cause it. <laughs> okay? Like, I'm going to go make some trouble so I can suffer. <laughs> You're going to get some knots on your head if you do that. <laughs> you got plenty. Yeah, that's right. Just, just take a stand for the Lord. You know, acknowledge him and everything you do, and that, that'll take care of itself. You don't have to worry about that. Matter of fact, if you try to do that, you're kind of being a dummy. If by any means, though, I might attain unto the resurrection of the dead. You think he was thinking, if I go out and suffer enough, then I'll be raised one day in the resurrection. No, this is a person that wrote it all about the resurrection. We know that we're going to be raised with Christ. Nothing can stop that. We're on, we're on the road to that. What he's saying, I understand is that he's saying, I want to live that resurrected life that I, I uh, depicted when I was baptized, that, that the gospel teaches. I want to live in the gospel. I want to live it every day. I want to experience that resurrection that Christ provided for me. And the only way I can do that is to humble myself, <laughs> accept the, 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 the issues of life that come my way, and trust him. And then when I do it, I'm not going to waste it. When the problems of life come, I'm not, I'm not going to waste it and just run around spitting and stomping and slobbering like I do a lot. <laughs> but I'm going to trust him and say, I know you have a purpose in this. And that's what Paul was doing. And I want to be, make, I want to be conformed unto that deep understanding of, of suffering and, and, and identifying with him. So he came into this world to identify with us. That's how much he loves you. That he would leave his glory, come into this world, be, live like you, and be perfect. I mean, if you're actually perfect and live like us, you're going to suffer a lot. Because <laughs> this world will not accept that. So they killed him all the way to death, right? And he was obedient every step of the way. And why did he do that? Because he loved us so he would know us. And then now, he has a purpose in our life, which is very hard for us to understand, that we go through that suffering so we'll know him. And so when we meet him one day... We'll, he'll go, hey, I know you. And you go, I know you too. <laughs> I mean, I really, really know. I really, really know you too. 
it's not just the, you know a person I, I read about in the scripture a little bit and somebody had a picture of Kenny Loggins on the wall and I thought that was him. It's going to be, I lived my life every day going through everything I went through with you right there by my side and I was right there with you. And I know you. You were there with me through all of it. And he's going to say, yeah, I was. Yeah, I was. And then what I wasn't with him when he was here, I was actually in him, though. He had me with him all the time. I can read in the scriptures and find out about And then we know each other. And that's going to be a wonderful thing. So everything in the Bible is about Christ. Everything. And all I'm doing now, and Steph's going to do this next week too, is just kind of bringing out thoughts so you'll see how vast it really is. That everything related to our doctrine, to our experience, everything in our life, everything in the Word of God is all about Christ. And we're eventually going to get to Adam will be the first type we're going to look at. And that's going to be really good. And it won't be too long. But I just want to impress on you the value of Christ being so important in Scripture. And I mean, that's even an understatement. Every single thing. It's all about him. It's about that person, Christ, our, our Savior, our Lord. I hope that's a blessing.